Greetings, career-minded superstars. If you were listening last week, you'll know that I've done away for at least the time being with the intro and the outro and the music. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do going forward, but for now, I'm just going to give you a little spiel. <laughs> Not too long. Welcome to the exclusive Career Coach Podcast. I'm Lisa Edwards, Certified Executive and Leadership Development Coach, Certified Job Search Strategist, and Master Resume Writer. If you would like to learn more about my practice, check out my website at ExclusiveCareerCoaching.com. While you're there, be sure to look at the free resources page. I have lots of great stuff there for you to take advantage of. So far this month, I've talked about what you need to know if you're going to be conducting a job search this year and what the job market currently looks like. I've talked about what is going on with remote work, the importance of personal branding, LinkedIn and its role in the job search, tailoring your marketing materials for specific positions, and the role technology is playing in the interview process. I also dug deep into what is currently happening in the U.S. workforce and what is expected to occur over the next few years around worker supply and demand, the aging workforce, and wage growth. Today, I'm going to wrap up this conversation about the job market and all of those related things by talking about the obstacles that you may face or maybe not obstacles, maybe challenges or different sorts of things. And none of these are new to 2024, but they certainly are um, still a factor, in some cases more of a factor than they've ever been before. So I've teased out six things that I want you to take into consideration as you look for your next great role. Number one, and, and these, by the way, I want to say when I was looking at this, I was doing a little research, but I was also thinking, what do I hear over and over again from my clients? As I've said innumerable times on this podcast, much of the content that comes on this podcast is a result of what are the questions I'm being asked by my clients, by the people I do consults with, um, by the emails that I get, or what I'm seeing out in the zeitgeist, right, on social media and other threads that I'm in, what are people asking about? And so these were definitely things that I've had conversations with my clients about, they've asked me about. So number one is a lack of personalization in the hiring process. Again, not new to 2024, but it is very frustrating. And I think with all of these, it's going to be particularly frustrating if you haven't been in the job market for a while. It will be a more stark contrast to you if, you know, it was 19 something or other the last time you had to look for a job. Over and over again, I hear my client's frustration about how technology has removed the personal touch throughout the hiring process. As I have said so many times, job boards are broken. The process is really broken. We've, in attempt to make things more uh, efficient, we certainly have made them less effective. From the initial interviews conducted that are being used, uh, that are using AI tools uh, to the applicant tracking systems, otherwise known as ATS, to an inability oftentimes to reach a human or even know what company you're applying for, um, candidates are frustrated over and over again, and it's a very demoralizing process. And with each of these, I want to kind of give you a perspective to perhaps think about it from. And my solution for this one is really shouldn't be any surprise if you've listened to the podcast uh, before. There's two things, really. Networking in general, right? So anytime that you can circumvent the the job boards and the um it's not that you'll be completely 
circumventing the technology, but you will be um, sort of adding to it in a way that means the technology is not kind of running the show, if that makes sense. You know, if you meet with someone and they think you're a great candidate and they want to put you through, the role that the applicant tracking system plays is very different than it would play if they didn't know you. And the other piece related to this is, is something I've talked about many times on here before, and that's what I call the plus one approach. So if you're going to apply online to a job that the whole world is seeing, and who knows how many applicants, do one more thing in addition to just applying online to get yourself noticed. Who can advocate for you? Who can, who can you reach out to? Um, who can put in a good word for you? Something. It's very situational. I've talked about both of those concepts, networking and the plus one approach in depth on the podcast before. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the how. Uh, certainly you can go back and find that information if you're interested. And there are a couple of other tools that I want to give you to help with this lack of personalization. First of all, if you set your expectations that it's likely going to be impersonal, um, you're not going to be as disappointed when it is, in fact. The biggest, I think, frustration that I hear specifically is the crickets. So it's the clients who hear nothing back from an employer and they don't actually know if their application, you know, fell through a black hole. Is it, you know, are they in a whole pattern before they start hiring? Have they been not selected for the process? Like, what is it? They don't know anything. So if you go into this understanding, it's going to be impersonal. And, and it doesn't mean anything about me. It's not about me. It's about them and their process. Um, so managing your expectations. And then the second thing, you really got to exhibit as much patience as you can possibly muster up during this time, because you're going to be not only dealing with the, the lack of personalization, but just the technology quirks and everybody's got a different application and, and there's several different applicant tracking system um, platforms out there that you're going to be coming in contact with. So for all of those reasons, patience is <laughs> very much a virtue here. So that's number one, uh, the, the lack of personalization in the hiring process. Number two, companies that want you to jump through hoops like you are some kind of a circus animal uh, hear this a lot. And I've, I've had clients that I've had to coach them on, you know, how do I handle this situation? They have had projects that they've been asked to do. So as part of the hiring process, we want you to create XYZ. We want you to perform ABC for us. And in many cases, these projects are taking clients hours of time for which they are not being compensated and for which they are, you know, having to find time because in many cases they're working full time. Now I have heard of some companies that are compensating candidates for this. And I say kudos to you. That's the way you ought to do it. Um, and I think in some cases, it may be kind of crossing the line into, you know, we want you to solve a problem or fix something or create something for us that we're going to then use, as opposed to this is a process to help us identify who is the most qualified candidate. The Some of the other things that I'm hearing clients having to deal with is, um, multiple interviews. I had one client who was subjected to 10 rounds of interviews before they ended up hiring the internal candidate. What the heck? And this was during COVID where I had this theory 
that employers were like, well, we can't touch them. We can't poke them as if you should normally poke candidates when you interview them in person. But there was this, I felt like there was this sense of we don't get to meet them in person. So we need to have, you know, 73 rounds of interviews via Zoom or Teams or whatever to compensate for that. A lot of problems with that. And then the other thing I'm seeing is cumbersome application requirements. So whether it's something they want you to submit or just the application process itself, maybe the, the platform isn't great and you're, you know, having to constantly redo things because things aren't, aren't saving, whatever it might be. It's pretty clear to me that some companies just don't understand that in their efforts to find the perfect candidate, what they've actually done is sent the perfect candidate running in the other direction. When you think about 10 rounds of interviews, what's going to happen? The best of the best are likely going to get employed elsewhere by a company who isn't going through 10 rounds of interviews because 10 rounds of interviews is not going to happen in 10 days. It's going to happen over, gosh, 10 weeks, four months, something like that. And in that time, people who are highly qualified and who are motivated in getting out there and getting their job search done are going to find other opportunities. What's the solution for you? I think it's important to decide at the outset, and this is a, this can be an individual decision. So job case by case basis. It's not about the whole overall, you know, do I want a job search or not? But it's about, do I want to go through the process, whatever it may be, because you're probably not going to know up front. Do I want this job? Do I want to work at this company enough to go through whatever they might want to put me through? Now, within reason, if there's anything illegal or, you know, you feel compromised in any way, uh, that's, you know, a red flag that you then, again, run in the other direction. But up front, I think it's really important to say, this is a job I really want. I really want to work for this company. So I'm willing to jump through the hoops because when you don't have that mindset, what happens is you begrudgingly do the things they ask you to do. They're going to smell that energy and they're going to probably see the results of that energy in the work that you produce in the way that you show up and, you know, communicate with them or interact with them in any way to be fully in for these jobs to, to make that decision that I'm in. You're going to want to make sure that you are fully qualified so you have at least 75 to 80% of everything they're looking for and the things that you may not have, that 20-25%, are not don't appear to be deal breakers based on the way the job description is written. And also, you really fully believe that you have the qualities, the professional qualities, the cultural fit to be a great hire for them. So it's kind of, you know, you're again, you're either in or you're out, fully commit or walk away. And there's no harm in walking away because every time you walk away from a job that you would have otherwise applied for, you are freeing up your time to put that energy into the right jobs for you. Save your energy. That's the, that's the bottom line. Save your energy for the ones that you're really interested in and fully qualified for. So that's number two. Companies that want you to jump through hoops like you are a circus animal. Number three, oh, being ghosted. I was fascinated last year to sit around a round table at my local SHRM, and that's the Society for Human Resource Management. I'm a member of the Big Bend chapter, which is here in Tallahassee, Florida. And I don't remember what the topic was, what the speaker was talking about. Well, we had a table discussion that ended up being about 
all because I was the only one on the supply side and everybody else was in HR. They were on the demand side, right? And they were all talking about how candidates were ghosting them. And I found that fascinating. And I found what was even more fascinating was when I told them that what I hear on the daily from clients is that they're being ghosted by recruiters. They were flabbergasted by that. Like they didn't know that was a thing. And I was fascinated because I hadn't heard about so much about uh, candidates ghosting a little bit, but I had heard so much about employers ghosting. I feel like this is probably not new to you. If you've been out in the job search, you've probably experienced it. And whether it's from an in-house recruiter, so if you're applying to ABC Company, this is a recruiter who works in the HR department at ABC, or what's known as a third-party recruiter, which means they work in a firm, a, a recruiting firm, might be an executive search firm, where they are recruiting for ABC Company, DEF Company, HIJ, all that. It's particularly interesting to me when someone tells me that they've been ghosted by a recruiter when they were approached by that recruiter unsolicited. In other words, the recruiter reached out to them based on most likely their LinkedIn profile. They had not applied for a job, um, you know, at all. So very interesting that they would then ghost the, the candidate. And there's myriad reasons why this may be happening. The message that I want you to hear here is that none of the reasons probably have anything to do with you. Don't make it mean anything about you. In the absence of them saying, hey, Joe, I'm going to ghost you now because you stink as a candidate. You're terrible. We don't want anything to do with you. That's not going to happen. You're not going to have any information about why the ghosting has happened. Now, you may be able to surmise something like if, for example, you start, stop hearing from them and a week later there's an announcement in the newspaper that that company is doing a massive layoff. Well, you can draw some conclusions there, right? But most of the time you're not going to know. So you get to make it up. Uh, you get to decide what happened, right? S decide something that's in your own favor that doesn't demoralize you. You know, I, I, I like to think about it as, you know, something better is going to come along. That that wasn't the job for me. I thought it might be, but it wasn't. And something even better is on its way to me. As one of my former coaches used to say, we're all delusional, so we might as well be delusional in our own favor. Make up a story that, that serves you and makes you feel better about yourself. So that's number three, being ghosted by employers. Number four, companies that take you all the way through the hiring process. So we're talking about you've been in this pipeline for a while. There have been multiple interviews, and then they tell you there's been a hiring freeze, um, a change in priorities, or we found a better candidate. I was talking with um, a client last night who I've known for many, many years, and she told me that her boyfriend had gone through uh, multiple rounds of interviews. He's in the tech space, uh, software development. And he was supposed to meet, I think, for lunch or something with the recruiter. And he got there to the restaurant and he could tell as soon as the recruiter walked in that something was wrong. Turns out the company had just announced massive layoffs. Of course, hiring freeze went along with that. And the guy was just giving him the good courtesy of you know, letting him know in person and not just shooting off an email or not ghosting him. My solution for this situation is to stay in touch. So whether they have said to you, there's a hiring freeze now, we don't know when it's going to be lifted, whether they say, you know, there's a new boss or a new something above the job that you're applying for that is 
causing the priorities to shift, or maybe they're just kind of pulling back for a period of time to reassess the, the talent and the direction they want to go in. Or that we found a better candidate, and I'll put a pin in that one because that's, you still want to stay in contact with them even if they say that to you. So my solution is to stay in touch, most likely through LinkedIn. This hiring freeze will lift. They will figure out what direction they want to go in. And they will have other hiring needs. So maybe it's not for that position, but they liked you. Maybe you weren't the perfect fit for that role. But if you made a good impression, then you may be a perfect fit for another role. And the other thing that often happens quite frequently is the first choice doesn't work out. They accept and then they rescind. Uh, I had a candidate, and this, this was for a clerical role back when I was um, in higher education. But we hired a woman and she started on Monday and immediately went into, you know, asked me to talk to me and she went into my office and she had gotten kind of the dream job over the weekend that she'd been working on for a very long time and thought it was kind of dead in the water. And they reached out to her and, and of course she had already accepted. And so here I was with this brand new candidate, you know, she'd taken the job day one, we were supposed to be doing training. We had a whole training plan out for her and <laughs> it didn't make a whole lot of sense to train her. My point is that in that situation that happened with, with her, we went back. We were able to go back to the pool because we had just hired her. We were able to go back to that same pool and reassess, okay, was our second candidate, you know, what do we want to do? In other words, do we want to bring in candidate number two and candidate number three and interview them again? Or, you know, do we feel like we need to open up the, the thing again? Do we want to open it up, but also let, you know, candidate number two know that we really want them to reapply? Like, and there may be some logistics around what the company or the industry will allow as well. So my recommendation around the staying in touch is to calendar in a cadence of regular but infrequent communication. Now, what does infrequent mean? It's very situational. What was the story that you heard from the recruiter? What are your, you know, is this a once a month? Is it once a quarter? That's, I probably wouldn't go less frequent than once a quarter. And look for ways to add value. So instead of it just being, hi, I'm still here, which is kind of boring for the recipient, think about things that you can do, like adding some kind of acknowledgement. Hey, you probably saw this in your local newspaper. You probably saw this in the Wall Street Journal. Really happy for you to get this, your company to get this recognition. Something like that. And it could be something personal to the recruiter. Maybe they've gotten an award. It could also be, you know, hey, I didn't know if you saw this new regulation that just passed. It's definitely going to affect um, the people that you interview and that you hire for, thought you'd want to know. So that kind of thing is a really great strategy for that long-term relationship with the recruiter so that you are top of mind when the right opportunity comes along. So that's number four, companies that take you all the way through the hiring process only to tell you there's been a hiring freeze, change in priorities, we found a better candidate, whatever. Number five, your competition maybe miles away. And here we are specifically talking about because of remote work, because of the proliferation of remote work, you are no longer just competing with, you know, the people who are in the geographic region or the people who can and are willing to move to that geographic region. It's now being opened up to the entire world for all intents and purposes. 
my advice here is this is where personal branding and an achievement-focused resume and strong interviewing skills really become important. Because you are dealing with perhaps a larger, a more diverse candidate pool, uh, you want to be at the top of your game. Now, has that ever not been true? No. I just think that with the international flavor that we're facing, or at least if not international, national uh, flavor of remote work, it's very important to do your homework. You want to, and this has always been true, you want to show why you are the best fit. What do you bring to the table? What do you stand for? What are you best at? Then you want to show an understanding of the company's priorities and goals and focus. And then you want to show how do those two things mesh? How does what you bring to the table mesh with what they are looking for and what they need? So know yourself, know the company, and be able to articulate how the two fit together perfectly. So that's number five, your competition may be miles away. And finally, number six, employers that immediately want to know your salary requirements. And this is an interesting one. So let's kind of, we got to back up a little bit in history on this one. Some states, first of all, have adopted wage disclosures. And I do think that's the way that the, the winds are blowing. So companies have to post salary ranges with their jobs. However, what that looks like and when it has to be posted does vary widely. I was actually Googling, and I'm sorry I didn't jot down the site, but it was a really good, like you could click on the states that did have it, and it would give you the parameters of that um, law. So I know, um, I think New York, California, a couple of those states already. My philosophy on salary, talking about salary, particularly early in the process, before, back in the day, was deflect, 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 be vague. Keep away from that conversation early because you don't know what the job entails and they don't know what you bring to the table. There's not a bona fide job offer, so what's the point in talking about money when we don't have any serious offer of a job? And I don't completely hate that logic anymore. However, what I'm seeing is when candidates are being encouraged to give a range that they're looking for, it's it's a little bit of a different reason than it used to be. Candidates, or, or rather recruiters are, especially if they're third-party recruiters, right? They're like, I got to go. I, got, I don't want to waste time. I'm trying to find the right person for this job because I'm not going to get paid if I don't if I don't bring forth the winning candidate and I need to know if we're in the ballpark. So if they ask you, it really is just, you know, are you, that's part of your viability as a candidate. And they want to see, you know, is that salary expectation in the ballpark of, and they'll oftentimes say, you know, if you say, I'll just pick a number. If you say 150,000 and they say, well, uh, the top range of this job is 130,000 you know, they might throw out a number as well, but they, and they may throw the number out first, but we're specifically talking about here. If they ask you without any, you know, you don't have any intel on what they might be paying. They're asking you what your salary expectations are. You want to do your research. What is the, you know, what's the going rate for that role in that industry, in that geographic location, and then plus or minus your qualifications for the job. Uh, what do I mean by plus or minus? If the job says 
master's degree strongly preferred and you have a bachelor's degree, you're probably not going to be at the top end of the range, barring some other amazing qualification that you have, right? Conversely, if the job doesn't require or even prefer a master's degree and you have one, you may not be compensated one way or the other for having a master's degree because the job does not require it. So final word on the on the salary requirements is do your homework. Know what is a reasonable expectation. Figure out your three numbers. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and uh, go to the website, click on the tile for salary negotiations and learn about your three numbers. You got to go in with those, especially number number three is the one that most people don't go in with. My final word on this topic today for you is this. You don't have to do this alone. If you would like to schedule a complimentary consult with me to discuss how I can support you in landing your dream job, um, despite all of these challenges that I've been talking about, here's a link to my calendar. I put it in the show notes. So take care and I'll see you next week.